Welcome to our bite-sized podcast, looking at neurodiversity and the considerations for employers in the technology sector seeking to attract, retain and support their neurodiverse talent. I'm Danielle Kingdon, a partner in our employment team, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Nancy Doyle, the CEO of Genius Within, an organisation that supported many technology businesses with creating an inclusive environment for their neurodiverse population. Welcome, Nancy. Whilst it's recognised that the technology sector often attracts neurodiverse talent, neurodiversity is a newer focus of diversity in the workplace, and some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with the term or maybe just starting to explore how to engage and support their neurodiverse population. So could you start by explaining what neurodiversity is or means? Sure, and thank you, Danielle. It's great to be here. So neurodiversity in its broadest sense refers to the human species. It's the idea that we are diverse in the way that we think, um, in our neurocognitive ability and profile, in a similar way to biodiversity. Um, the term is also associated with ADHD, with autism, with dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, um, Tourette's syndrome, and sometimes that's even broadened further out to include um, general learning disabilities and some mild mental health needs. And within that kind of category, that's that's an umbrella term. Neurodiversity is sometimes used as an umbrella term for those conditions, but more and more we're starting to use words like neuro-minority so that we can keep neurodiversity for the whole species. And then we've got neuro-minority or neurodivergent or neurodiverse. All of those are kind of in the mix at the moment, but they are as opposite to neurotypical. And the difference between neurotypical and neurodiverse is the idea of the spiky profile. So each person and if you if you took all of the different cognitive strengths um, that were possible, people would have sort of some areas where they were OK, some areas where they were a little bit better. And that would be neurotypical, It'd be kind of much of a muchness, whereas neurodiverse people have big differences between the things they do well and the things that they struggle with. And it's called a spiky profile. So the neuro minority conditions tend to have this spiky profile where performance can be exceptional um, or really competent and strong versus other areas where performance can be um, uh, much, much weaker. Thank you. That's really helpful, Nancy. I know that neurodivergent people can find some things very easy and other things incredibly hard, which can lead to inconsistent performance at work. We too often see situations where an employee's neurodiversity is only considered after a problem with either performance or conduct has arisen. And in many cases, the situation could have been better understood or managed. Is this something you see a lot of? Yes, you've just described most referrals to my business. <laughs> um, you know, usually we find that people either don't disclose their condition because they're worried about being discriminated against, they're worried about negative, uh, um, negative stereotypes, or people have maybe talked about it with a few people, but don't really understand um, what that means or, or how it affects performance. And so, you know, what we find is we get into the situation where people are, are really struggling and then they start to talk about neurodiversity. They might talk about their ADHD diagnosis or their dyslexia. And, and all of a sudden it kind of 
raises the um, raises the urgency of the problem and people can feel kind of on the back foot then. we I get a lot of HR managers and supervisors thinking, I wish I'd known earlier. Um, and so, you know, through no fault of anybody's, we end up in this place where we're having to be quite reactive and trying to kind of track back where something has gone wrong. But because so many, there are so many neuro minorities, you know, 15 to 20% is a significant minority of the, of the human population. And that's the number of people who are affected by one or more of those conditions and so I think actually we can get to a place now where we can be quite where we can predict that this is going to happen and we can predict where the flexibilities need to be and that's something I'm starting to see more and more of is companies wanting to take a much more proactive approach to providing for neurodiversity and planning for neurodiversity rather than just waiting for people to fail and then trying to fix them one at a time. That's very encouraging. Um, we're often advising on neurodiversity from, of course, a legal angle, explaining how neurodiversity interfaces with the Equality Act and the legal requirement to make reasonable adjustments for neurodiverse employees. How should employers go about finding out what adjustments might help a neurodiverse employee? And is there any particular advice for line managers trying to support a neurodiverse team member? Sure. I mean, for line managers, what line managers tend to need is practical advice. I, I come across very few line managers who are actively trying to make things harder or don't want to learn or, or, or accommodate. You know, line managers generally want the best for their team, but are very often just not really knowing what to do. You know, what are the best adjustments? What should I do differently to make this work? Um, and so the first thing you should do is kind of look at what adjustments are out there, what's recommended. There's a number of really good um, guidelines documents such as uh, ACAS produce one, the Business Disability Forum, um, which is a non-profit membership group for businesses taking a proactive approach to disability. They have um, a toolkit for neurodiversity and you can kind of get some general advice, pick through it and go, right, that might work, that might work. Um, what we have at Genius Within is a free questionnaire that you can do online that takes you through the 65 most common issues um, that we find in the workplace and gives you a set of recommendations for each of those and, and churns out a personalized report so those are things you can do for free just by talking to the person who's struggling or just by talking to your neurodiverse team member and that kind of proactive approach of of kind of right let's sit down together let's work through a few things let's never think about what that what might work that's absolutely the best place to start but when you get if you get to the stage where that's not working and somebody's job is at risk that's when you need to avoid shortcuts and you need to bring in some professional advice and that could be um, having an access to work assessment which is free and can help with the cost of adjustments if they're more formal and require outside expertise or you can contact a company like Genius Within. I'm very um, conscious that we focus a lot on some of the challenges um, but of course neurodiverse employees have the ability to think differently and this often gives our tech employers a valuable competitive edge. What particular skills can neurodiverse employees bring to the tech workplace? Well, there's it's there's a couple of answers to this question. I mean, the, the biggest question, the biggest answer for me is about representativeness. So tech customers are neurodiverse. Um, 15 to 20 percent of 
tech customers are going to have one of those conditions that I mentioned. And so if you've got neurodiverse employees, you're designing and delivering services that will, will be more accommodating and have natural flexibility for neurodiverse customers. And so that's a competitive advantage right there. Um, and it's actually a very important one. There's, there's research showing that digital access is particularly um, inaccessible for a lot of people with cognitive disabilities and it reduces it reduces um, e-commerce it means that there's a kind of unspent untapped market out there so it's actually you know a really strong bottom line advantage um, and the other benefit the second one is really about having variety in your team and having specialists built into the way that your team is working you know we've long been aware of the dangers of having homogenous teams where everybody thinks the same way and so if you bring in neurodivergent people you'll get some unusual thinking that you're not used to having but you'll also get some specialist thinking some neurodivergent people are incredibly talented at explaining things at finding the right words at, at kind of being very detail processed and 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 establishing any ambiguity that might need a better explanation in, in the way that it's being delivered. Some neurodivergent people are amazing at visual spatial thinking. So you, if you want that kind of outstanding dynamism in your team, the neurodiverse community is a good place to start. Now, um, developments in technology and artificial intelligence are driving an increase in job opportunities for neurodiverse talent with an increasing demand for those with um, superior skills in pattern recognition, analytics and maths, for example. What initiatives have you seen put in place by employers in the tech sector looking to recruit and retain neurodiverse talent, um, perhaps, for example, adjustments to their recruitment processes? Um, so there's a very specific initiative that's been kind of popularised and, and has gone quite mainstream now, which is autism at work programmes. So a lot of tech companies are recruiting autistic people because stereotypically autistic people are very good at analytics, maths and or pattern recognition and, and detail focus, uh, which really lends itself naturally to a lot of coding and testing roles. Um, the problem with the Autism at Work initiatives is that they were kind of started as a pilot, but they've become just the way we do things around here. And, and actually, what we should be learning from Autism at Work programmes is that our initial recruitment processes weren't fit for purpose. So if we were excluding autistic people because the way we were recruiting meant that they weren't coming through the door and we had a lack of representation, then now that we've got autistic people through the door and they're doing a good job, the question should now be, how do we need to change how we recruit so that we don't exclude this minority from these job roles? But that's not the question that people are asking yet. So we've kind of got the, the normal standard recruitment process for most people and then we've got the specialist route in. And it's it, it, as a pilot, it's positive action it's taking a clear action to bring in um, a marginalized group an underrepresented group but as a kind of system as a, as a process if we keep doing it it risks being positive discrimination where for example we if someone doesn't have an official diagnosis of autism they can't come in through that program or if they have a dyspraxia diagnosis they can't come in through that program and so you get into quite I think you could get into quite difficult legal 
um, conflicts by keeping them going without expanding their remit and without saying, right, what have we learned from this programme? What do we need to do differently? So just as an example, um, do we need to use interviews for data analytics roles or should we be using work sample tests where we measure people's ability um, to find holes in code or to spot errors in software? Um, if we if we match our, our recruitment processes to the job more closely, we might find that we don't need autism at work programmes anymore, that we're just able to recruit the skills for the job. Now, I know that Genius Within works closely with many employers in the tech sector, as well as with their neurodiverse employees. Can you tell us a bit about the support and services you offer, Nancy? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we we do everything from a kind of, you know, initial screening and testing, uh, diagnosing, um, assessing reasonable adjustments. We provide a lot of coaching. Um, our coaching is very successful. Around 95% of our coaching clients are still employed a year later, um, despite the fact that all of them were in a vulnerable employment situation when they came to us. The 5% who aren't still are, are, are ones that we've just supported to move on um, naturally without any uh, difficulty. And and 25% of our coaching clients get promoted within a year, which, which we think is a, a really strong indicator of that kind of unleashing the talent potential. Um, we provide training and we provide coaching for managers and clients together where there's been misunderstanding and conflict. We call that co-coaching. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, we can do all of that for individual cases where things aren't working. But the other thing we're doing is this is sort of next level neurodiversity coaching, uh, consulting rather, which is where we do that job of looking at recruitment processes and adjusting it to be more um, flexible to include neurodiverse talent, which is where we start looking at the organisation culture as a whole and start thinking, right, how do we make universal design of human resources so that at each stage in the employee life cycle um, we're not going to run into unnecessary barriers and obstacles. Thank you that's incredibly interesting. Um, if you had to summarise what are the three key things for our tech clients to know or to do in order to attract and support neurodiverse talent? Okay, so number one, I would say listen to your employees. They are already there. They know your organisation. They know where you're doing it right and where you're doing it wrong. And they will have experience that is really essential to developing maybe awareness and buy-in at the senior level. And then I would say number two, when you've got that awareness in place, um, I, I think it's time to be very professional about this. And what I've seen going wrong is where maybe we have two people who have lived experience who might work in finance or IT, um, you know, your own internal departments, and they are being used as the go-to referral for anyone that has a problem. And it's actually, well, no, hold on, my, I'm an IT and finance specialist and I don't really know about HR. So when it's time to bring in the professionals, bring in the professionals. And then the third thing I'd say is that diversity isn't easy. If you want that dynamism, what you're going to get is that kind of rubbing off of corners where somebody wants to do something differently in a way that you're not expecting. So in order to make um, that 
that in order to get the benefits without really getting suckered in by those conflicts, you have to create a lot of standard processes so that it's accepted that diversity is the way that we do things around here. And yes, it's going to make things difficult and sometimes it slows things down and sometimes it takes us off on, ta in, on a tangent. But we have decided that that's part of our strategic plan. That's what we're going to do. It's going to be hard, but we're going to we're going to make it happen. Nancy, many thanks for joining us today. Your insights into the measures tech businesses can take to attract and support neurodiverse employees really helpful. Um, thank you all for listening. Please do get in touch with your Osborne Clark contact or Nancy at Genius Within for help with any of the issues that we've discussed today.